The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson, and Coach Rankings Week rolls on. Our thanks to Stephen Prather of Sports Source Analytics. Uh, if you have not checked out the, that show, do that after this. It serves as a, a fine compliment uh, to our entree that we have. Gentlemen, um, the Coach Rankings are live. Let the yelling commence. And, Tom, I'm, I'm going to come to you first because you uh, – you actually have to have to deal with uh, the blowback from fans uh, who who probably think that even though this was a consensus operation with many experts, that these are your personal rankings and you have personally offended them all. Oh yes, I've I've already seen it a few times since I posted the original rankings yesterday, and in my original tweet, I made sure to point out that I was one of several voters, and of course, immediately there are like five replies that are like why you know this guy should be higher there's even one that's like tom fredelli has kansas state's chris cleveland ranked here see where he has it's like okay um i'm one of seven voters please stop yelling at me way way too much nuance tom i mean it's like i pretty much hit everybody over the head with just a voter i wrote it but i'm just a voter are you getting like, like aggregated by the the Kansas City Star? Is is like CBS Sports is Tom Fernelli says this? Probably I haven't seen that, but there was yeah, there was just one Kansas State like fan site that said, "See where Tom Fernelli has you know Chris Kleeman ranked." I was just like, "Come on, guys." Mm. Barton, are you sad that you miss out on uh, all this opportunity to just get dragged through the off season uh, hate hate trolling? Uh. Yeah, no, especially because you're going to probably be called on radio and asked to defend right. a, a ranking as if it's yours. Those I are have the worst radio hits today. You have to like real time explain like no, no, no offense, bud. Like I had this, I had this guy ranked higher actually. Yeah, no, I've I've got three radio hits scheduled for today already. So before we get into debatants, we've got uh, all of us have our own ballots. Uh, there is the the final 
1 through 65, which is up on CBS Sports right now. Um, and so we're going to start with, I want to hear everyone's approach to how you got this, because we're ranking all the Power 5 coaches. This is about as subjective as it gets. Everyone gets to choose their own formula, and I think that there's a lot of differences between uh, across our entire voting body. A lot of people approach this differently. A lot of people value and weigh different factors more than others. Uh, so, Barton, let's first for you. I mean, how did how did uh, how y'all? What was your method to ranking the coaches? It's real simple for me. I'm a I'm an athletic director or a fan, whatever you want to call it, and I have a program that I back, support, uh, hire for, and my order, my ranking is basically just a big board. It's would I hire the number one ranked coach above every other coach? Would I replace the number two coach with the number three coach? If the answer is no, then my ranking is right. If the answer is yes, then I need to flip those guys. And so, it, it, it so be, with that approach, I, I feel like, yeah, I'm weighing their previous success. But if I believe in a guy with limited body of work, I can just subjectively say, you know what? I think this guy's pretty good. I know he doesn't have the, you know, the plaques on the wall that that someone else might, but um, I've seen what he's done the last couple of years. And I, and, and included in that is all the other stuff, recruiting, team building, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing is, is, is a factor. And if I'm an AD and I'm, and I'm making it higher. So, uh, so yeah, if you're ranked 55th on my list, then there's 54 guys that, uh, I'd, I'd call before I hired you. What was yours, Tom? Uh, I mean, I take a little bit of that approach, thinking about who I would want if I'm either the fan of the school or if I'm the guy making the hire. But I also I, I put a lot more consideration into what the coach has actually done. So it's like you'll see in my rankings compared to where guys finish. There's some guys that I think if I was hiring, I would they might only have been around for two or three years of like having real you know power five experience that I might hire instead of a guy who's been around for 20 years and done more. But when it comes to ranking. I'm not going to rank a guy who's only had a couple seasons under his belt higher than a dude who maybe has been doing it for 20 years and has multiple conference titles. But, I mean, it's it's like a blend. And I feel like you said it's subjective. And it's like, for me, I feel like when you're ranking these 65 coaches, at one and two, you have Nick Saban and Dabo Swinney. And after that, whatever you want is defensible. I just feel like as long as you have those two as your top two right now, everything else is logical and defendable. Is it defensible to have any order of those top two? Yeah, I th- I mean, I would I think I have I had Saban at number one, and I think that's probably the quote unquote correct answer, but I think it's defend if at this point, I mean Dabo's beaten Saban two of the last three years in the title game. Yeah. I, th- I, think, I Dabo's, think it's defensible to have him at number one. If I think you want. it's very de- I had Saban at one two, but I think it's very defensible at this point to have Dabo at, at, at one. Um because, I mean, you know, yeah, I think you can make a really good argument that Dabo should be one. I'm just saying Nick Saban never threw a pizza party for all of Bryant-Denny Stadium. Bonus True. points. Uh, I found that since we're doing this every year, I was incre- – I, I feel like my opinions on these are volatile. And it's not necessarily 
exactly recency bias, but I feel like I was ranking them almost in in terms of stocks. And there were some coaches where uh, the what they had done in the past or what they had going on in terms of their resume or their profile was what anchored their rankings. But then there were other ones where it was a trajectory um, a prediction where it's like, man, I, I don't know. I really like what this coach has going. You know, I, f- I found myself dropping... Uh, I found myself dropping some coaches because of what we saw in 2018 on the field. And that, you know, that might've been a, an over adjustment, but the, uh, the, the volatility was probably the thing that stood out to me because, you know, I'm, I'm shooting these coaches based on what my last year ballot is like up and down, maybe like 12 to 15 spots. And Tom, that probably goes back to the fact that while we list them one through 65, the truth is it's just a giant blob of a bunch of coaches that are tied for 22nd. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's like, I feel like when I was doing mine, the top 10 guys were pretty easy to figure out. And then from 10 to 20, it was a little more difficult, but I kind of knew exactly who I wanted and where. And then pretty much from that point on, it's like you're really starting to split hairs. I feel like the top and the bottom of the list are easy. And everything probably between 20 and maybe even 50, you're just kind of like, well, you know, there's an argument for every single one of those guys to flip spots because it's so close. I mean, inherently, you are a head football coach at a Power 5 program. Yeah, you can't. You have succeeded at at something (laughs) along the way in order to get here. Uh, yeah, just minimum entry is a good thing. Being 64th on this list is okay. You've got a power five job. And you're and you're a multimillionaire. Yeah. You're doing all right. Um, well, let's start right there at the, the top of that list real quick. Um, let's see. Nick Saban at one, as we mentioned, on the, uh, on the consensus list. Our number two is Dabo Sweeney. And our number three, Chris Peterson from Washington. Our number four, Lincoln Riley. And that's where I want to stop. Oh, number five, Jimbo Fisher. Because the Lincoln Riley, the Lincoln Riley um ranking, Tom, goes back to what you were saying. I'm guessing Lincoln Riley was not as high on your list if you were weighing what what you have done over time. Yeah, I had Riley at eight. Okay. And it's it's I mean, so it's not like I had him way off. I mean, he, last year he was at 15. I think I had him ranked in the 20s last year because I was still in the hey, it's only been one season, guys. But I think it's hard to argue with what he's done in the two years that he's probably pretty good. It's just at the same time, it's not like he inherited a program that was a mess. He he inherited a pretty good situation from Bob Stoops and he's done a really, really good job with it. And I think if I'm taking the Barton approach where I'm just listing these guys in the order of who I'm going to hire right now, he's probably at number three. But if I'm doing it with my ranking style where I'm also taking into you know account like what they've accomplished over the long run, I had him lower at number eight. But I'm not surprised to see him climb this high because, I mean, he's been there two years. He's won the Big 12 twice. He's been to the playoff twice. And he's produced two Heisman winners, two different Heisman winners in two seasons. It's, it's a pretty good resume he's built really quickly. And the Barton method does, in fact, spit out Lincoln Riley as the number three best coach in college football. Because and and not only that, but he is now, so he's got this ridiculous offense that is, I mean, you, you can't even make an argument that it's not among the the best in college football. That he's not one of the best offensive minds in college football, and one of the best quarterback gurus in college football. 
Um, but now he's gone out and he's hired one of the hottest names in, in college football on the defensive side of the ball as a defensive coordinator. So that doesn't that doesn't automatically pencil them in as a good defense, but at least it's a power move, and he's shown his the ability to sort of shake up his staff and 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 um, and and strive for improvements on that side of the ball. So I think this is a it's hard to see him jump in from number three on my list for next year, but. You know, he could he's he's gonna start knocking on the door of that top two, I think, if if he keeps this this trajectory. I also have Lincoln Riley as number three on my list, but I, I also have Chris Peterson, our consensus three, as my number four. And I feel like that is an a, an example where you can lean on the Boise State consistency, but I think what he has done at Washington especially in terms of player development and making that uh, the best program in the Pac-12. I think the Washington profile alone gives Chris Peterson top five, top six consideration. And if you want to give Boise State bonus points out there, then I I would not, I would even hear uh, a Chris Peterson over Lincoln Riley. But as I've been more stuck in recency bias, I was Riley over Peterson myself. Yeah, but also the other thing about Peterson versus Riley is if we're still if we're just if we're right here living in the moment, and I guess you could credit Peterson for building Washington up a little quicker, uh, or, or or having a tougher job to to sort of build Washington up than what Lincoln Riley inherited at Oklahoma. But when when Chris Peterson has gotten into the the big the big matchups, the playoff matchups, his teams have been totally overmatched. Uh, whereas Lincoln Riley is, is, has nearly knocked off Alabama and Georgia the last two years. Good point. Um, you know, so that, that's kind of where I gave the edge to Lincoln. And I think, you know, Jonathan Smith, we, we need to see if, if this is going to be an interesting year for Washington because we need to find out if Jonathan Smith was a, a bigger piece of that puzzle than maybe we all gave him credit for because Bush Hamden to this point as offensive coordinator is left a little bit to be desired. So I'd like to see their offense take a step forward this year um, and show that they're, they're not sort of plateauing on that side of the football. Uh, Number five, we mentioned Jimbo Fisher, number six, Kirby smart, seven, Brian Kelly, eight, Gary Patterson, nine, David Shaw, 10, Dan Mullen. Any uh any anyone there that stand out to you against against your own rankings? Huh. Well, Brian Kelly took a huge leap forward this year compared to where he was last year. I know. Rankings. I could. Well, I I had. I, where, where was he in, in last year's ranking consensus? La- last year he was ranked twenty seventh. Yeah, I had him. I had him thirty seventh in my yeah. rankings last year, and I had him eighth this year. <laughs> and I kind of, I kind of can't like looking back. It's it's hard to to remember the, the the mind place I was in to thinking that Brian Kelly was a you know that low on the list, but man, we must have been really down on Notre Dame heading <laughs> into this year. Yeah, I had him at 18th on mine this year, so even I was still pretty low on him compared to where he ended up finishing. So somebody had him really high. <laughs> I I had him right at seven. Yeah, I mean. And and I don't know where I had him last year, but Brian, Ke- I think Brian Kelly's a really good coach. I do too. It's just there's so many eight and five seasons mixed in that for me, 
to get him that high, I'd, I'd like to see more consistency. Now, granted, he's taken Notre Dame to the BCS title game, and this year they went 12-0 in the regular season and reached the college football playoffs. So clearly when things go right, when, when he has everything clicking, the ceiling is pretty high for Notre Dame. It's just there's been too many seasons in between where they're just, you know, they're good, but they're not like what anybody I think would consider elite. I think they're a very good team on the whole with that capability of having elite seasons. So for me to get him in the top 10, I'd like, you know, I think he's trending that way because what they've won at least 10 games through the last four years. So right. I think if he keeps that up and we keep, can you see Notre Dame being the team that's actually competing for a playoff spot every year? Okay. Then I think he deserves this ranking, but just right now I think this is a little too high, but again, you're splitting hairs even at this point. I'm giving so, Brian Kelly bonus points for what I have viewed as him being able to, you know, withstand staff turnover for him being able to, you know, go from the the offensive minded coach and the, you know, pulling quarterbacks in and out. And it seemed like there was a lot of meddling, uh, you know, as many as seven, eight, nine years ago. And so this is where I think Brian Kelly, the the really good football coach, I think that he has grown, uh, or at least his his profile has grown a little bit to include being able to to run a good program, to to get the strength and conditioning sorted out, to be able to be a little bit more of that uh, overseer as he's hit this point in his career, where he probably doesn't, you know, he probably should be delegating a little bit more and trying to uh, to maintain sort of the big picture. I mean, I remember Brian Kelly; he caught all that flack for uh, feeling like he had to go out on speaking tours. Yes, <laughs> like like he's he does have a very unique job being the head football coach at Notre Dame and having been there for so long and established at least a, a pretty high floor. Obviously, the four and eight season. Uh, being overlooked there, but I I think Brian Kelly will finish his career at Notre Dame, and I think Brian Kelly probably is going to be in the top ten to fifteen of these rankings over the next couple years as he finishes out his career. Yeah, I, I even wrote in my my bubble my assessment of it. I said I'm probably with my ranking compared to everybody else's. I'm probably the one who's more wrong in their assessment of Kelly. It's just for me, I had other coaches that I prefer. The it, not listed. In that top ten, um, were two guys that I have in my top ten that I appear to have much higher than the consensus. Uh, anybody want to guess what one of them is? Tom Herman. That is one. I have Tom Herman at ten, and the consensus has Tom Herman at seventeen. Uh, I got another one that that you might be able to guess that's even lower than Tom Herman in the consensus. Uh, Matt Campbell? Scott Frizzy. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> of yeah. course. I, I have Frost at seven. Wow. Like, is that just, just I'm just crushing too hard? And, I and think, I'm just yeah, yes. a little bit. A yes, little bit. yes, absolutely. And that's okay. <laughs> and that's that's why we send out lots of ballots. We need lots of flavor here. But that but is here, so like like this is so this is sort of my my point and and the way I approach the rankings. Um, I'm just gonna pull up the consensus list. So for my Scott Frost, if you're if you are, I don't know, if you're Texas, and you could hire Scott Frost or you could hire. Gary Patterson, would you like? Is it a no-brainer you'd hire Gary Patterson? Yes, yes. Really? Okay. 
I you you're I mean I I I wouldn't if you're uh if you are uh I don't know Oklahoma and you could hire Scott Frost or you could hire Mark D'Antonio is it Scott a Frost See yeah and Mark D'Antonio was 13th in the consensus and Scott Frost is 25th and I just think Scott Frost is still when you look at the trajectory you look at what he inherited at Nebraska, how the team really looked at the end of the year. I know the record was was ugly, but they they were it was a totally it yeah, was they, a, they started 0 and six and finished four and two. Yeah, they, and they finished four and two, and they started 0 and six. And among that 0 and six, there were some really like weird close losses. And he recruits well. He's, I mean, they, we've, the we've the one time we've seen him before when he took a, a winless team to whatever it was, four wins, to undefeated in year two. I don't think there's any reason to think he can't take a jump in year two at Nebraska. I just think if you are if you are actually looking at it from a sort of big-picture standpoint and not just looking at a record from last year, I still think there's a lot to like about having Scott Frost as the guy that runs your program and the guy that you sort of entrust in the future of your program, I would, I mean, I feel, I feel good. Like, I wonder what the, the whatever the Nebraska win total is this year. I'm, I'm going to be on the over, I would imagine, <laughs> you know, Barton, I would imagine too. I would well, also imagine you are going to be on the UC. I mean, on the Nebraska <laughs> win total over my, my Scott Frost is Mike Gundy who finished at 12th in our rankings, but I had five on my ballot because I love Mike Gundy more than anybody in the world. You do. Why? I, mean, I really so, do. So, so like, back it up. <clears throat> I mean, it's I, I, it's strange doing it considering Oklahoma State came off a 7-6 and six season last year to still have him that high. It's just I've been very high on Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State and what he's done the entire time that he's been there. With you Because, know, first of all, no matter what, Oklahoma State's automatically the number two program within its own state. And it's not like it's a big-time program or has a big-time history. It was a solid to a solidly above average program for years until Mike Gundy showed up. And now all of a sudden they're winning 10 games seemingly every year, except, you know, once in a while they put in like a seven and six like last year or an eight and five. But he's got 121 and 59 and 14 seasons there. And that's 85 and 32 over the last nine years. So over the last nine years, he's averaging like nine and a half wins a year. That's pretty dang good for Oklahoma State. And I feel like Mike Gundy's the kind of guy, if you put him at a larger program with more resources, and I don't mean money-wise because obviously T. Boone Pickens has plenty of money, but if you put him at an SEC school or a Big Ten school with like you know a more of a blue blood type nature, more of an attractive brand, I think he would win a lot of games. Like if Tennessee had ever ended up hiring Mike Gundy, I think Tennessee's right there with Georgia as the second best team or the top team in the SEC East right now. And Dan Mullen's trying to catch up to Tennessee and Georgia, not just Georgia. So I, I don't disagree. And I, I like Mike Gundy too. I have him as a top 20 coach. Um, but to have him five, then I, my argument would be, are you saying that like, we don't know what Oklahoma State would be without somebody else, like with somebody else. He's been there since 2005. So, is 10 wins the ceiling for Oklahoma State? Or if, uh, if Lincoln, well, I'll say put someone that you would have behind him. If, uh, if Dan Mullen was at Oklahoma State, would, would they have gotten 
above 10 wins by now. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I think I think Dan Mullen would have the same kind of success at Oklahoma State that he had at Mississippi State. Where so yes, okay, that's I mean, and that's that's if if you think those are comparable jobs, I would argue Mississippi State's a tougher job than than Oklahoma State. I you know I, I don't disagree with like being bullish on Mike Gundy. I don't want to paint that. Uh, I think five is is higher than I would go, but um, but it's it's an interesting case study because like we're just assuming that Mike Gundy is so much better than what everyone else would do at Oklahoma State because no one else has been at Oklahoma State for 15 years. Um, but I do think Mike Gundy's really good. We've all got our crushes, and for mm-hmm. me this year, it's Bronco Mendenhall, number nine on my ballot. Nine, nine. What? What? <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, he does coach my beloved who's. So it's, you know, I, I, I respect it. I, don't, I, I had him. Well, let me see where I had Bronco. I mean, I love Bronco teams. I had Bronco at 24 on my ballot. So, and, I, and I, I think, had Bronco at 24 too. And I think he finished 26, right, Tom? Does that sound on the consensus? Yeah, he finished, he finished just outside the top 25. So, so somebody we, was disrespecting yeah, Bronco. we both had him 24, <laughs> Chip had him 9, then someone must have had him in like the 40s. So, I, I mean, and... I think that he there was just sort of uh, a general, you know, this much consistency at BYU, you know, all all that is taken into consideration. But Virginia football was a mess. And I think that what he's done over these last three years is long lasting. And I I think that he has done some like big time. Oh, man, just just hit the cliche machine, but like he has done some big time, like program building and culture changes that have made me believe that this is going to be, and Virginia has this like, you know, once every 15 to 20 years, Virginia's going to cycle up and they're going to, they're going to have a couple years. So they're a little bit of a problem, at least among other regional ACC rivals. And I think Bronco is the kind of coach that can do that. I think it's a really, really good fit for him. And when you're able to not only, uh, be a, a football coach and you know a little bit of the the player developer but the program developer i i i think that that's a like nine is absolutely too high for bronco mendenhall but <laughs> i i've just been really blown away um by what he's been able to put in place there and i i just don't think that that it's going to change anytime soon so i i think bronco is a victim of his personality a little bit in terms of like these sort of rankings because he's clearly a good football coach like in the in the most football guy like sense of the term football coach like he just he's good at he's good at it he's good at developing he's good at scheming he's good at just producing a team that's going to be a classic kind of football team yeah he's also clearly good at evaluating he can you know he can find really good players under rocks. He can do it at programs that aren't necessarily traditionally um, producing. But he's just like, his personality is so quirky and he's so aloof. Like if, if, if you put David Shaw's personality into Bronco Mendenhall or, uh, I don't know, Dabo Sweeney into Bronco Mendenhall, I, I bet you he'd be, there'd be a, a 10, 10 spot bump in his consensus ranking. I just think he just sort of is this, he kind of works in these shadows and no one really knows what to make of him. But when you play him, you know, you're in for a dogfight. 
It's like, imagine if he gets Virginia to a point where it's in contention for a playoff spot, and then he's got to start going on to ESPN to campaign. <laughs> that, that would be that would be fun to watch. He needs. That's just not his personality. I mean, he he still needs to beat Virginia Tech. I do. Yeah. I, I I'm very aware of what they have, but this is this is as close as Virginia has gotten to getting Virginia Tech in a long time, and they have closed. They this is as as small as the gap has been, and he took a team that even by his own admission did not have like half of the roster was not ACC caliber players when he showed up. And so this has been very much uh, an effort to be able to get it, get it all moving in the right direction. So I, I Bracco and Bracco and Tom Herman were my two biggest jumps from uh, Tom Herman went from last year, 30th to 10 uh, Bronco went from 44th last year to 24th. So he's heading in the right direction in the in the Barton Simmons index. Do y'all have any coaches that looking at your own ballots, you have any regret about where they stand or you feel like you might have been you, you can look at your own ballot and admit maybe you're a little bit too high or a little bit too low on a coach? Well, I mean, I, I already admitted I'm probably too high on Gundy, but other than that, uh no, I mean, I don't hate anyone in my ranking as I go back and look. I mean, personally, I would have liked to have ranked Jeff Brom a little higher because, you know, that's my guy. But I feel like I had him at 25th on my ballot, but I feel like that's where he probably should be in that range. But I, if it was just up to me being who I like the most, he probably would have been top 10. Where did you guys go with uh, – I'm curious – I'm curious, Jim Harbaugh, and I'm also curious where you guys went with the Jim Harbaugh versus James Franklin pecking order. I have them right next to each other. Same. I do too. <laughs> I have Harbaugh at 12 and Franklin at 13. Yeah, I have Harbaugh at 11 and Franklin at 12. Yeah. I have this Big Ten cluster. It goes almost directly in order. D'Antonio, Harbaugh, Frost, Fitzgerald, Franklin, Gundy, Paul Christ. Yeah, it's it's funny because I feel like, you know, there there are no Big Ten coaches in our top 10 of the final ballot. But from 10 to 20, there's, you know, from 10 to 25, especially even on my ballot, there's quite a cluster of them. But I had the highest ranked Big Ten coach I had on my ballot was Pat Fitzgerald. I had him ahead of both Harbaugh and Franklin. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't hate that. Because you give him the you give him the points for what he's done at where he is. Yeah, I mean it's it's like I wrote in the art he finished. Where did he finish in our rankings? He finished at 16th, and it's like I wrote. It's the best way to sum up what Fitzgerald's done is that Northwestern's won 19 games over the last two seasons, 36 in the last four, won a Big Ten West title, and it doesn't feel like a major story. And it's because of what he's done since he got there with what Northwestern historically had been and in his time there. Now, when Northwestern wins 10 games, you're just like, yeah, that's kind of what they do sometimes. Whereas before, it would have been like, you know, it had been like front page story if we still had front page stories. Um, What do you do with Paul Christ? Uh, I, had, well, I, I had Christ at 17 or 16. He dropped all the way from 14 to 27 for me this year. I was kind of down on him this year because when you look at like he was he, he was average at Pitt. Mm -hmm. He had a couple good seasons the last couple years at Wisconsin, but then 
entering this, the third year when it's yeah. mostly his team, there was right. a drop off. Yeah, no, there's that, definitely. Like, we, we were supposed to. We were supposed to. I mean, in the in Big Ten media days, there was all this discussion about like, oh, you know, the, you're the quarterback guru, and we can't wait to see what Alex Hornerbrook is now, finally <laughs> under year three with you, and like. Uh, you get Jonathan Taylor back, and there's um, the offensive line speaks for itself. And then you look up, and they they just they had a very average year. And so he's so w- w- as a head coach, how long was he at Pitt? Three, four years. He's basically got like six, you know, f- five average years and two good ones. Um, and so I I think that Paul Chris. We got a little ahead of ourselves on him, and for good reason. I mean, I, I get the like the opinion last year, and he's still a good coach. But I think this is an important year for him to reassert himself because the competition is picking up a little bit, right? In that Big Ten mm-hmm. West, uh, he's not quite going to go uncontested like he used to. So now you better be able to, you, you better be able to step your game up a little bit. He's got three double-digit win seasons in four years at Wisconsin, four straight bowl wins, and two top ten finishes. Hmm. What's what? Where does that put him? I mean, I'm not saying like is that are you are you saying that's really good? I mean, it is good, but is it is it that elite? I mean, I do not think it's elite. I was wondering if Paul Christ is basically like settling into a Kirk Ferentz role among the coach rankings where you're like, oh, yeah, no, he's really good. He's good. But you're just you're just not going to be up there cracking him into the top 10, top 15. Me, the difference is for me, and what makes Wisconsin or Chris so hard to evaluate is that it's hard to separate. Is it Wisconsin or is it Chris? Right, mm-hmm. because with what Barry Alvarez did there, I mean the formula is in place. Alvarez built it up, Bielema took it over and pretty much maintained it. Gary Anderson showed up, tried to change things a little bit. They got rid of him quickly because they didn't want anyone messing with the formula. Chris comes but in, but he was still really good. Yeah, Gary he was Anderson. still good. They just yeah. didn't like he was changing things up. Yeah, Chris comes in, starts going back to what you know the quote unquote Alvarez way, and he's had success. And last year they had a down year, and maybe last year was just a down year. But for me, there's that whole thing where, when it came to evaluating him, or just coming in general evaluating him, I have difficulty trying to figure out. Like I said, is it Paul Christ or is it just the Wisconsin program? Or, or is it possible? That there is no difference because Paul Christ is so damn Wisconsin. I mean, he is literally from Madison. He played quarterback for the Badgers. He's a coach's son. He is so Wisconsin. Yeah. Whereas Uh, you you mentioned like in comparison to Ferentz where he could be having that kind of run where they're just who they are. But for me, I mean, I know Hayden Fry clearly is the – you know, the, the Barry Alvarez of Iowa, but I feel like Ferenc has just been at Iowa for so long that to me, no matter what Hayden Fry's history is at Iowa and what he did for the program, to me, Kirk Ferentz is Iowa. We'll be breaking down some more of our biggest surprises, including where we ranked a head coach at one of the Blue Bloods right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. So we have not mentioned the name of the Ohio State Buckeyes head football coach. Where'd y'all have Ryan Day? I, my philosophy is this: when it comes to ranking these coaches, like I said, it's I. When it comes, I, I I do consider who I would hire today. But if you don't really have a lot of experience, like you've have been the head coach for let's say oh three games, you're not going to be high on my rankings. Ryan Day last on your list? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, he's at sixty second though. I had him ahead of Mike Loxley, Manny Diaz, and Mel Tucker. Because he hasn't – I mean, he's 3-0, and yes, but he's only coached three games. So I have no idea. I'm not going to rank him ahead of anybody. I you think know, he's in a better situation than that is such coach. That is such a cop-out, Tom. <laughs> so, you're, so basically you just like pencil in the guys that don't have head coaching experience at the bottom of the list so you don't even have to really consider where you would place them in the pecking order. That's That is that – is, that you just snuck out the back door on those guys. Oh, that's sort of using wrote. logic. I mean, if I'm ranking a coach based on who he's been as a coach and he's never been a head coach, how the hell can I pretend I know what he's going to be like as a head coach? Well, because you're the expert. You're supposed to be educating all the, yes, the and an expert. An the- expert knows what he knows and what he doesn't. <laughs> an expert knows that the guy's never been a head coach. Well, in, in my very expert opinion, he is very specifically <laughs> – the 23rd best head coach in all college <laughs> Spicy. That, I mean, that win over Oregon State really impressed you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it's with, with it, it's this is all it's a very much a guess with Ryan Day. Uh, we're you know, I guess I'm just sort of trusting his incredible list of references. You know, he got a bunch of. He got a bunch of recommendation letters from a bunch of people uh, that that seem to be raving about this dude, and I, and so, yeah. I mean, and I think, I think he appears to be, uh, he know he knows offense. I think the offense has evolved under him, um, and I think that. He's made some strong moves on his staff uh, this offseason. It's it's so it's a top twenty. You know, he appears to be a top twenty-five type of guy. He could be better. He could be worse. Um, I've very, you know, this isn't like I don't know, like 
I guess Ed Ogeron, we had some sort of a sense on who he was before that. But this doesn't feel like Ohio State's going to go away anytime soon under Ryan Day. It does. I don't necessarily have any confidence that he is the next Urban Meyer, but there's enough just contextual hints that he's still pretty dang good and Ohio State's still going to be a Big Ten champion contender, if not a college football playoff contender. Yeah, of, of all the first-year coaches, he's clearly stepping into the best situation. And he could easily be a top 25 guy on my ballot next year just based off of what he's walking into and what he's able to do with it. But I wonder if with Ryan Day, are we going to consider him his own case three years from now? Or is it going to be comparing him to what Urban Meyer did? So I think that's going to be the interesting thing when it comes to evaluating Ryan Day as Ohio State's coach. I split the difference with you guys. I've got Ryan Day at 43. And for context, that has him right behind Scott Satterfield and Neil Brown and right ahead of Ed Ogeron and Derek Mason. So who's, who is your, who is y'all's number one, uh, first year addition of this list. So a guy that wasn't a power five coach last year. Uh, for me, it is, let me see here. Mine's Diaz, right? Like just in the same neck of the woods. I've got Diaz at 38. Manny Diaz has never been a head coach. Uh, I have Scott Satterfield at 36, just one spot ahead of Matt Wells. Uh, my number one – well, no, my number one new new head coach to this list is Ryan Day at 23, but my number two one is Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. I have him 34th. Wow. I mean – like, I think that's defensible because he's won multiple national titles. It's just he did it at the FCS level. Yeah, he did it. And, and yes, there is a strong culture in place at North Dakota State. And so, it, But at the same time, winning four national championships in five years at, in high school, in middle school, I don't know, in D3, anywhere is hard. And he did it four times in five years at North Dakota State, and I, you know, I, I, maybe I don't know the dynamics of FCS recruiting well enough, but I just I can't fathom that North Dakota State is some sort of Alabama of Division One in terms of their ability to out recruit other FCS programs. Uh, I think that they develop as well, and so. I, I mean, this is I, I, he's to, to, for the life of me. I, I can't figure out why there was ever any sort of hesitation or concern from like Kansas State fans about hiring him. I guess we'll find out. Maybe they're right, but uh, it, he sure seems like he has the right kind of resume to me. Yeah, and I, I think that that's the thing about Climo. What he's when you look at his resume, yes, he inherited a very good situation at North Dakota State as far as you know the FCS level. But we've seen a lot of coaches inherit good situations and not be able to maintain it. He's clearly maintained it. So it's that that's to me is a good sign for his ability to get to Kansas State and, you know, at, at least keep them on the same level they've been under Bill Snyder. Craig Bowl went 33 and two in his last three years at North Dakota State with three straight national championships. And at Wyoming, he is 28 and 35. I think using Craig Bowl as the example is what uh, had me putting Chris Kleiman near the bottom with a 
um, yet like can be proven wrong, willing to be proven wrong. And for the sake of Kansas State football and, you know, have whatever intra fighting might happen there. I hope Chris Kleiman is successful. But I think that what we have seen recently says that just because, you know, and Craig Bowles doing that in the Mountain West. And to think that you're going to be able to jump into the Big 12 and be able to continue those winning ways, I think that right now uh, he would have to prove me wrong on that one. And that's why I've got him in that in that group near the bottom of the rankings. Yeah, I don't have – I've got him ranked in the 50s, but I, I don't think that – I mean, comparing Wyoming to Kansas State, I don't think that's fair. Because I mean, Kansas, Kansas State is just a better program? It's a power five program. Right. I mean, it's it's yeah, you're not exactly in a fertile recruiting ground in either place, but there's there's more football being played in the state of Kansas than there is in Wyoming. I mean, at least you've got all the junior colleges there, which is what Bill Snyder was able to take great advantage of. I think that with Kleiman's recruiting, you know, at North Dakota State, he's recruited that area. You know, he's been recruiting in the Midwest. He knows, you know, he knows where he can go to find guys that might be a little bit under the radar and get him to come to Kansas State. I don't think that if you're Craig Bull at Wyoming, that's Wyoming is not an easy place to recruit to. So it's a person personnel difference you think makes it uh, ma- makes that evidence erroneous. Not erroneous, but I, I mean, I think it I think you should consider it. I just don't think that it's a fair comparison as far as well if Craig Bull has had this much trouble at Wyoming after having so much success at North Dakota State Chris Clemens is going to have the same kind of problems at Kansas State I, I think that it's a very different situation because I mean one's a power five gig and one is Wyoming fair I, I, I definitely was approaching it more from you can't automatically assume that FCS success is going to translate to the next level no you definitely can't do that but if there's any FCS success that I think you can look at, it's the one who's won multiple mo- national titles. Oh, you mean like Craig Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> but if Craig Bowl had been in a Power Five program, I bet you he's better than twenty-eight and thirty-five right now. If, oh, if for Craig sure. Goes to Minnesota, I bet you he's thirty-five and twenty-eight. Nah, the real dirty secret is that Chris Kleiman had to get out of town. He'd already used up all the goodwill that Craig Bowl built up for him. It was time to go. Time to make the jump. Um, let's see who, where'd y'all have Herm Edwards? Uh, I had Herm. Where'd I have Herm? I had him 46th. I had him 50th. No, 40, I had him 47th. Strong. Which was a, which was a, which was a strong improvement from the 64th the previous year. Yes. He was 64th in the consensus. He's moved up 10 spots to 54. I think that, um, you know, in this portion of the podcast, I am, I'm willing to admit and put on record, I think Herm Edwards is going to be a decent college football coach. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think Herm Edwards is going to, in these, in these rankings, if, he's, if he is at Arizona State for the next three years, I think he will be firmly in the... 38 to 50 range for the entirety of those three years in these rankings. And it's funny because it's like he, he so greatly exceeded my expectations last year, but at the same time they were only seven and six. Right. He greatly exceeded all. Yeah. All of our expectations. Ex- the, the only expectation he didn't greatly exceed is the expectations that the Arizona state athletic director has, has put on record that he has for that program. It's like we forget that the re- you know 
uh, Todd Graham was fired for mm-hmm. going seven and six. I mean that. So it's just sort of this odds place we're in of of comparing Herm Edwards not to the expectations of Arizona State, but to the expectations of Herm Edwards. And so to this point, he's great, but how long is that going to last? I wonder. Mm. Uh, any other coaches that uh, that y'all want to throw out to the roundtable? Yeah, there's a few, I think, interesting ones. Uh, first of all, as mentioned, these are all good coaches. They all were hired to some degree of fanfare everywhere that they were, So, which makes it kind of weird to kind of have to throw somebody in the 60s. Um, but I'm curious as to how your bottom group stacked up. Tom kind of – skirts this because he just throws in the guys that don't have head coaching experience but he uses what he knows (laughs) but i had so like i had clay helton 60th for example so did i where'd you have him chip 46 where was he in the consensus he finished higher than 60th he finished 51st yeah I mean, that's pretty Dropped bad. 20 spots. It's not a good spot year. to be for USC to have a 60th worst coach. Um, you know, like the – where'd y'all have less miles and back, back round? So that, those were interesting to me. I had less miles at 33. And then I had Mac at 32. I had them right next to each other. I've got this I'd, badass group of old guys. Mac Brown at 51. Lovey Smith at 52. Less miles at 53. Yeah, I had less of 52 as well. All right. Here's the thing, though, with less. A few years ago when he was the coach at LSU, he was in our top 25. Now, is he that ranked that low because he's at Kansas, or is he just you think he's that bad of a coach? I think he's I, well, losing touch. I think I think there's that. I mean, I, he, he, he seemed like – he he seems to be border. I don't want to. I don't. I careful. Overstate careful. This. Yeah, <laughs> careful. I'll, <laughs> I'll go with what Chip said. I think out of touch. He's getting. He seems to be getting closer and closer to being out of touch. Also, what? I mean, all right. The last before Les Miles, there was Nick Saban at LSU, who was obviously fantastic there. Um. We've had less miles now, and we've had Ed Orgeron. And I I think – and Ed Orgeron has not been a very good head coach prior to his time at LSU. He is in the midst of being a solid head coach yep. at LSU. I think Les Miles was generally a solid coach at LSU. I guess what I'm getting at is – what if Ed Ogeron and, and Les Miles are not good coaches at all, and LSU is just that favorable of a place to recruit to and win at because of the culture, because of the just the the environment, the talents at that program, and I just wonder if you put any coach in the top thirty at LSU if they're not contending for national titles every year. And I, I mean, I part of me thinks that Les Miles and his 
sort of um, chokehold on that offense, particularly in the latter five years or so that he was there, is the only thing that held that program back. And so I'm, I'm in a, I think LSU is a really weird one to evaluate and Les Miles is a really weird one to evaluate. And I think this will be fascinating to see what he does at Kansas. I don't have high expectations, um, but, but – That's I, the thing. It's like I feel like it's somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy because I don't have high expectations for him at Kansas either. But I feel like it's Kansas, so why should anybody have high expectations for him, no matter who's there? I don't, I don't care who Kansas would have hired. I'm not sure I would have had high expectations for him. But I, I don't disagree with a lot of what you guys are saying. It's just when I came – I don't think Les Miles right now, if I'm hiring a coach right now, he's one of the top 50 names on my board. But I think that, you know, when, with him having won a national title and having success, I, I at least threw him up into the 30s. But, you know, with, with Ed Orgeron, like you mentioned, there there is that whole thing. It's kind of like what I mentioned with Paul Christ in Wisconsin. It's hard to separate, is it LSU or is it the coach? But in Ed Orgeron's defense, who I had ranked just ahead of, just ahead of Les, I'd edit 31st. He finished at 30th in our rankings, which is a 26-spot climb. If we look at recent years, since he took over at LSU, he's 25-9. and nine. If we include his time at USC, he's 31-11 and 11 in his last four seasons as a head coach. And I wonder if we take those failures at Ole Miss, which were awful years for him there, if those still weigh too heavily on how we consider Orgeron and we don't consider the fact that, you know what, <clears throat> maybe he's maybe everything he did wrong at Ole Miss he's actually learned from and has improved as a coach because the last like I said the last four years he's had as a head coach have been very good they haven't been national title contender type good but they've been much better I think than 30th overall that's fair I I mean hasn't Barton what has LSU done from a recruiting standpoint under Coach O has it gotten better or is it just sort of maintained LSU good? It's uh, sort of maintained LSU good, I think. Yeah. Because um, one bonus I'll give to there's Le- not there wasn't a whole lot better he could get. I mean, yeah. it's, LSU's good. It's top five good, um, and it's sort of right there, hovering in that range regularly still under Ed O'Gron. Mm. I do give. If you're going to take the next step up at LSU from a recruiting standpoint, you're doing what Alabama, Cle- Clemson, and and Georgia like. Taking a st- stepping up, tearing up from a recruiting standpoint, from be- from being really good to being great is what Kirby Smart has done at Georgia in their recruiting. They went from top five to eight year in year out to their sort of you can kind of pencil them into top three now. That's that's taken it a step forward. Is Chip Kelly too high in our rankings? See, that's exactly what I was about to ask. I wanted to get your guys' opinion on. I think he is. I think that last year he was what? He was his top 10 in our rankings last year. He finished at ninth. He's at 14 in the current rankings. Dropped five spots. But just from what I saw, and again, this could just be too much recency bias because, you know, UCLA was not good last year. But just from things you see and from things you hear, I wonder if with what we were just saying about Les Miles, if the same cannot kind of be said about Chip Kelly in that he hasn't really college football as a whole. When you look at the offenses across the country compared to where Oregon was when Chip Kelly was there, they've caught up, they've caught on, they've adopted and they've taken those same kind of principles and advanced them. 
I'm not sure Chip Kelly has advanced his own offense in any meaningful way. So it's I I don't know at this point. I'm very I didn't where did I have him ranked? I didn't I had him at I had him at 27. So I didn't, you know, just completely bottom him out, but I still I, I have enough concerns there that I'm like I'm not sure Chip Kelly's all that, you know, the same guy that he was at Oregon or if he's poised to have that same kind of success. I yeah, I I had him so I'm contributing to his ranking on this list as which y'all are thinking might be too high in the sense that I had him 13th. Um, and I almost had him a lot lower than that. But I just sort of went back and and made sure I got the full context here. And, and I mean, he's still like, yeah, I know it was six, seven years ago now. But, I mean, what he did at Oregon was ridiculous. Just ridiculous. Um, what he did in the NFL wasn't even – that bad. I mean, he had the one really bad year in San Francisco. He had two really good years in Philadelphia. And I, and I don't even really factor that in that much into this whole process. But I just, you know, he's still like Chip Kelly is, is he didn't forget how to coach. And he did have a bad year in year one. But that was a, I think, year zero kind of year. Yeah. He needed to really change the culture. That was another team that got better as the year progressed. Uh, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt and and like I'll put it this way: if he was recruiting better, I would I would be tempted to just sort of leave him where he was. Uh, you know, I have to, you know, I had I had Scott Frost at seven after a four and eight year or whatever they went. I, I think Chip Kelly, you could kind of put in the same boat in terms of the season. My concern and the reason that I was allowed him to kind of slide a little bit is he's I'm I'm worried about the way he's recruiting. I think he is not engaged mm-hmm. and aggressive enough on that front to sort of maintain a spot in the top 10 like you have to with all those other top 10 coaches. Um, but this is, I think, going to be a really interesting year for UCLA because I think there's a chance they they you know they go from three and nine to seven, eight wins. I wouldn't shock me. Um, without even, and I haven't really examined the roster. I just think in terms of the way – they're good. They've built their program, and in the way, the confidence I have in development, strength, and conditioning, and all that stuff. Uh, but if they're four and eight again, then all of a sudden, you know, I'm gonna I'll plummet him because then, then the luster is all the way off. Yeah, because their their 2019 class finished ranked sixth in the Pac-12, and their 2020 class is currently ranked seventh. And I mean, it's if there was only some way we could still have Jim Mora doing the recruiting, and then Chip <laughs> Kelly doing the coaching. I think UCLA could be pretty good, but yeah, it's. I think that's another concern too. That's why I was kind of just. It's. He's not exactly a dogged recruiter for anything you hear from anybody. It's not his. You know, it's not his number. His favorite thing to do in the world. Well, and ironically, he wasn't that bad at Oregon. He was actually he kind of improved well, the recruiting at Oregon. I also think well, Oregon kind of sold itself a bit though with all the facilities. It did, but. I, I think the other factor is like he is – I think he just sort of is, is turned off of it and now he is – he just thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he's going to out-evaluate. And so I, think, I don't think he thinks he needs to chase because he's smarter than everybody else and he can just get guys that no one else wants who are better than the ones they do want. And that might work, but you know, it you know might not. a dangerous thing to do? Assume you're smarter than your opponent. 
I th- yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I thought that that's why Chip Kelly allegedly, you know, paid twenty five thousand dollars for the those evaluations from Willie Lyles. <laughs> that's right, he was playing. He was playing the game. Yeah, yes, he was like I, he was a pretty good recruiter at Oregon. It's like yes, he was. <laughs> he absolutely yeah. was. Thank you, Texas Pipeline. Come on, LaMichael James. Come on, Kenyon Barner. Let's go. Yeah. Um. I I had him at twelve, and I hate it. Like I look back on it, I'm like, that's that's too high. But it is it. It's almost like holding out a little bit of uh, not hope. I mean, I, I don't root for Chip Kelly, but it is believing that that this Chip Kelly at UCLA can be fruitful and can lead to some success and some fun and some intrigue and some storylines in a in a conference that can can really uh, fall below the radar. And in terms of looking at what kind of jump they might have, there is upward mobility in the Pac-12 that you do not have in mm-hmm. the SEC, Big Ten, or the ACC. And, and let's be honest, like you guys are clearly higher on him than I am as far as the rankings are concerned, but... I think if if UCLA goes from like you know gets to like seven or eight wins this year, all three of us are going to be very much on board again. Yeah. Uh, what do y'all uh, do with? Oh, what you got, Barton? Well, uh, so I'm a little surprised at how much credit Will Muschamp still gets. Mm. He's 33rd in the consensus. I'm not dramatically lower. I had him. I think. 40 I had him 43rd I had him uh, 41st okay so you're kind of on board with me ship where'd mm-hmm. you have for must champ eight no <laughs> I'm I'm so sorry 18 yeah <laughs> okay all right all right defend yourself I like, think he's, see, I think he's a good the must champ uh defense here I think that because things flamed out so horribly at Florida we forget that he had a real, we had one, at least one really good football team and did a pretty good job of recruiting. I think that he's a he's a very good football coach. And I think that like Stephen Prather said yesterday, it's tough because you wonder, like, how, how do you balance being uh, a, just a, a good old ball coach and a good football, capital F, football guy, football coach with being able to, to run a program? And I thought that his... His comment may be right. Maybe it's not great to just run so hot emotionally on the sidelines and be sweating more than your players are at the end of the game. But I I think South Carolina is a really good fit for him, and I think that we could see him end up coaching there for a while. And this could be a, a time where he sort of repairs his reputation a little bit and you know kind of settles into that spot where I'm – I'm definitely way too high at 18, but just the good ball coach, like he probably, he probably uh, deserves closer to that where I've got like as a, a 25 to 30 or 25 to, to 33, just kind of respect the football mind area of the rankings. And I, I think I respect the football mind. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah but I think Will Muschamp has, because he's like he is such a central casting football coach and is so he's you know he's he's well respected and he's you know he's got the football jargon on lock and when he goes to the coach's film room he's the most impressive of the bunch and like everyone just sort of loves his football guyness 
Um, but like just the the results have just been so mediocre. And Florida obviously is a place you got to win, and South Carolina is not that bad of a job. I don't think. To to me, I suspect. I suspect Will Muschamp is a, is a good coach. It was all like last year was a real hinge year. It, it felt like that was the year they were supposed to have a really good season. I mean, there were nine wins the year before. They were this sort of dark horse. Are they going to beat Georgia at home in week two or whatever it was? And and then they just go seven and six and they're whatever. And so that that soured me a little bit because I think, yeah, if they had a nine or ten win season last year, he may be in the top 15 for me. Um, but they didn't. And then you start to look at the big picture and you're like, all right, well, he had, he had an 11 win at Eleven win season at Florida, but then he, other than that, you know, he won seventeen games in three years and nineteen losses. And I mean, well, how about this? Were, in the same way that just getting onto this ranking at all, like being a Power Five head coach, requires some amount of success and some amount of, um, you know, um, you've proven something to be able to get an athletic director to cut you. Uh, to write a contract that's going to cut you checks that'll total multiple millions of dollars. Uh, Will Muschamp ceiling might just be a 500 SEC coach, but not every team can go eight and zero in the SEC. Like you've got to have some 500 coaches in there. So I'm probably too high on him, but I think that if you're a 500 SEC coach, that probably means you're one of the 25 best coaches in the country. Well, this is another one that's a, I mean, he's a little bit in the Steve Adazio world where it's like, all right, he just all right. South Carolina. I mean, like it he or not, you're just you gotta you have a seven and six, eight and five kind of coach. And you know what? That might just that's a lot of guys wouldn't be able to go seven and six, eight and five to South Carolina. Um, there's a few that could do better. And so where does that where does that put you in terms of what you want as a fan? Um, it probably. I don't know. Are you satisfied? Uh, you know, most days you're happy. Most days you're winning games, but you know, you're you're also still getting the leftovers from Florida and Georgia. So uh, it's a it's an interesting kind of predicament there. Mm. Um, anyone else y'all want to turn the spotlight on before we get out of here? Uh, let's see. I got. Where'd you have Mike Leach? I had Leach 20th. 26. 20, 23rd. Okay, so we're all pretty much in agreement there. I bet not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if some people had him a lot higher. But yeah, that's there's, another there's that like, Leach hive. So, yeah. Yeah, but that, that's that's one, again, where it's like his he has a ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I can't – I can only put someone so high that has a ceiling on the field. Like he's never – he can get to 10 wins, but I just – I have a hard time – seeing him ever get to truly like playoff contention anywhere. I give him a lot of credit for last year. I mean, they were, yeah, it was the, the three point loss at USC, a game like incredibly winnable. And then having to play in a snow globe against Washington in the apple cup. Like that was last year was a team that could have, I I mean, were they going to go to the college football playoff at 12 and 0? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that could have that could have been a college football playoff team. That would have been like the greatest season in Washington State history. 
Let's see that that plays into what Mike Leach's ceiling is, though, in the fact that his style of play, if it's a bad weather day, his team's in a lot of trouble. And when you play, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, there's especially late in the season, there's going to be bad weather days. I feel like if if Mike Leach played somewhere like in Southern California, if he was coaching, you know, at UCLA, even. I think that he could have a lot more success because he wouldn't have to worry about snow or rain destroying his offense because his program is so reliant on his offense that, you know, it's the weather can kill his team. And we saw that last year against Washington. Not to say that they beat the Huskies on a, you know, sunny 65 degree day, but that team clearly had no answer for that snowstorm. Whereas Washington, when that snow comes, they have stuff they can do. Washington mm-hmm. State doesn't. Yeah, that last year was a was an instructive year for me. I picked Washington on the under on the win total, or Washington State on the under on the win total, and I just think you don't you don't like you just assume that Mike Leach, who basically functions as like a computer for, as a coach, is just going to stick around his he's gonna he's gonna insert the new pieces and figure out a way to get to eight wins just about every season. So, I mean, it wasn't just I, you. Washington State was picked fifth in the division at yeah. Pac-12 Media Days, only ahead of Oregon State. And I mean, and if you look at going into last year, you know, they they lost Luke Falk, who'd been their QB forever, and then this dude taken over was somebody nobody would ever heard of, who was a transfer from East Carolina, who was you know, or from Alabama technically. So it's like th- there were plenty of reasons to be skeptical. And then Alex Grinch, the defense, the defensive coordinator that we gave so much credit for for turning that defense around, had left. So it's like going into last year, there were plenty of reasons to think that Washington State was going to have a step back. And the fact that they did it is why Mike Leach is finishing as high as he is in our rankings and in, in ours and both the consensus. But like Barton said, there is a ceiling there. You know who's number one in my rankings? You guys. Aww. <laughs> uh, make sure you can check out the entire one through 65 at cbssports.com and if you want to yell at us about our opinions or about our rankings you can reach all of us at tom fernelli that's at t-o-m-f-o-r-n-e-l-l-i <laughs> you can follow him on twitter at tom fernelli you can follow him at barton simmons you can follow me at chip underscore patterson gentlemen this has been fun thank you very much you sir. Sure.